Welcome back to Autopsy of a Horror Movie. My name is Brucker, and today on the show, I am discussing The Slumber Party Massacre 2 from 1987. And to help me discuss and talk about this movie and break it apart, I am joined by David of one of my favorite horror movie podcasts, Cadaver Dogs. Hello, David. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, Brucker. Thanks for having me. It's it's good to finally be on here. I've been listening to the show for a year or so. I, I think it's close to your, your first. Um, I love the show. Oh, thank you so much. And I love Cadaver Dogs. Devin's been on here before to talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And now mm. we're, we're on here to talk about another slasher, a very different type of slasher movie. <laughs> but um, I, I loved how this came about, though. I I recently, at the time of this recording, because I don't know when I'm going to re- publish this episode, but I a couple weeks ago released the first Slumber Party Massacre movie. And you commented on Instagram saying that you got to see the second one. Or something along those lines. I said, I will do it if I get the right guest. Hint, hint. And <laughs> and so here we are talking about Slumber Party Massacre 2 from 1987. Um, oh, man. Just what a wacky, wacky movie. But before we get into this, I kind of want to tell people about Cadaver Dogs again. Because I mean it when I say it. It is one of my favorite horror movie podcasts. I don't listen to many other horror movie podcasts just because, I mean, I make one and I don't want to like just kind of repeat listen to other people and accidentally steal ideas or anything but you're one of three horror movie podcasts i listen to is one of my favorites so can you please tell people about cadaver dogs first off thank you that 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 means a lot it's it's great to know we have fans um (laughs) (laughs) so in cadaver dogs uh our angle is really more about analyzing the movies so we're focused on the themes and figuring out the cultural influences behind things. Um, We'll typically take two movies, often ones that don't seem like they go together. Like uh, in this month, we're releasing an episode on Hereditary and Pet Cemetery, And the link is that they rhyme. I was (laughs) just about to jokingly say that. (laughs) (laughs) The real link is that they're both uh, movies about grief and dealing with grief. I don't want to spoil either of them. Uh, we do spoil everything in the pod itself, but we're breaking down how they deal with those themes, um, what they're saying about grief. Uh, we talk about the five stages of grief and how that applies to these movies. We talk about how they handle religion and faith and what that has to say about these. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, there's It's me, Devin, and one other host, Rob, and yeah, we just have fun talking about horror and what it means uh because it's generally a much deeper genre than people give it credit for absolutely and that's why i really dig your show because of the the analysis part of it and those how you're linking themes between movies that you wouldn't really think that are connected in any sort of way that's what i enjoy out of it and you do you do these like these fun minisodes sometimes too um, yeah. I always love a good ranking. You guys do like a good top three episodes every now and then. And recently, by the time this comes out, it might be not so recently, but recently, I encourage people to go check it out. Y'all did it. I think it's your top three kills in, in yeah. horror movies. And that was yeah. a lot of fun to listen to. And I, I, it was, it's, it's a lot of fun for me because it's a good mix of like I, me agreeing, like, I'm like, oh, I hope that they bring up this one. I'm not, I won't say it here. So I don't want to spoil the episode. <laughs> But I was really happy. Okay, yeah, yeah, they said that one. I hope they did. But you also brought up some other ones. I was like, ooh, I got to go check out and see what that brutal 
<laughs> kill with all sorts of effects was all about so um lots of good recommendations y'all put on your show so um everybody go check out cadaver dogs i was also on there for a, a jeopardy like trivia episode uh incredibly frustrating at the end but uh <laughs> 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 um but yeah but yeah uh people people go check out cadaver dogs links in the show notes and before we get into today's episode i want to thank my partner horror press horrorpress.com what an awesome website there are all sorts of good uh movie reviews and articles if you're a horror nerd like david and i and you like the analysis part you will definitely enjoy this website uh so be sure to go check out horrorpress.com links in the show notes now david today on the podcast we were talking about Slumber Party Massacre 2 from 1987. This was written and directed by Deborah Brock. This was not directed by the predecessor, Amy Holden Jones. And Jones was offered the directorial position for this, but she declined it, stating that she got zero job offers from doing the first Slumber Party Massacre. Um, so I guess like before we get into this, David, what is your history with Slumber Party Massacre 2? Uh, so it goes back a few years to when I first got a shutter and I'd heard of Slumber Party Massacre. I never really knew much about it. And then I just saw they had both of the movies and the post for the second one had this rock and roll dude with a drill guitar. Uh, and I was just like, what is that? And then I looked at it and it's like, oh, this is about a, a rock and roll slasher who has a drill in his guitar. I'm just like, well, that's amazing. So I'll watch the first one, and then I'll watch it. I, I just absolutely love this movie. It is complete bonkers. I'm always recommending it to people. And every time someone watches it, they hate it. Um, but I think it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, you mentioned our Best Kills episode. This was on my honor. This almost made it into our Best Kills episode. It was in my honorable mentions. Which which kill from this movie <laughs> would have made it? Was was it Matt's the the, the boyfriend at the? No, the the Sheila, the, the whole grooving down the hallway while the whole song and dance number. Oh wow, interesting. Okay, so you you love like this? You, you like a showman in, in your kills? You, you... Oh yeah. <laughs> I also love that it was the the poster, like the cover art that got you interested in this because that's that just feels like such a like a blockbuster thing just walking down down the aisles like okay what's going to grab your attention and just kind of do that on shutter um that's i love that that's so funny and it is a very unique thing i mean i'll give the movie a ton of credit for being original in that i mean this this drill guitar or drill tar or Good drill, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's. I like drill tar. Drill tar. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's. We can call it a drill tar. It's fucking wacky. And the guy that played the driller killer, Atanas Illich, just what a fucking heat check that this guy gives. I mean, he is, he he's having a ball. All the dancing he's doing, he's just strapped in leather with fringe, and he's just he he's fucking showman. He he looks like he's having a ball doing this, and it kind of adds to. The, the overall enjoyment of this movie. Come on, baby! We're going to rock and roll! <laughs> Just you and me, Courtney! Just you and me! Apparently, he was the first person who auditioned for the role. And Deborah Brock was like, well, I can't just cast the first guy I saw. We gotta look at other people. <laughs> <laughs> um, I appreciate her fairness, at least. But she kept coming back to him. She brought him back in like three times at some point she was like 
he's just he's just he's too small for what the part is like i think he's physically tiny but she's just like hey i'll use camera tricks it'll be fine <laughs> and honestly like I don't even feel like he's like a big character in this. And I think anybody standing next to that drill, what do we call it? Drill tar that they're going to look kind of small. Yeah. Cause it is a massive piece of art. I <laughs> never even thought of him as looking small. Me neither. I mean, he towers over all the women. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I kind of just like saw him as just like a dude, you know, I don't know. I just never yeah. really size. I mean, did not come maybe into... the camera tricks work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, the, yeah the, it was a real um like a tom cruise thing it was a real peter jackson kind of thing you know uh, yeah <laughs> um but so anton or atonis illich did you see who he's related to like who who's who's he's the son of it was some ceo i forget which company he, it was something silly so it is kind of silly yes so Thomas Illich is the son of Mike Illich, who is Detroit, Michigan royalty. He founded Little Caesars Pizza, and he was the owner of the Detroit Red Wings and the Detroit Tigers. Um, So I kind of find that hilarious that the guy that started Little Caesars Pizza and the owner of these two professional sports teams, his son just randomly is the driller killer (laughs) in this this B slasher horror movie. Sounds like the Michigan version of Vlad Plasmius. Who is that? Uh, I feel I feel ignorant from oh, knowing. Oh, from that. Danny Phantom. You're the ghost boy who uses his powers for good. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's. <laughs> oh my god. The dude is like a fortune in cheese, and he like did he own some Wisconsin sports team, or did he try to own them? Anyway, it's similar to You're that. You're asking me to pull up like <laughs> memories from when I was so young to because to, to, I haven't seen Danny Phantom. Oh, you don't revisit those memories all the time? <laughs> Not that one specifically. <laughs> um, but uh, now that I got Paramount Plus, I'm just kidding. I don't have Paramount Plus. So <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think that he just did such like a great job. And this is kind of like a standout performance in this. Um, and I'll. I, I kind of wanted to talk about the driller killer, but I don't know if now is the right time. Like, should we like talk about just like, what the fuck is he? Like, should we try to figure that out now? We want to talk about that later. Uh, well, we can come back okay. to the, 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 what exactly he is. I think because he, he's very much tied into what do you think is going on in the movie? Um, but in terms of just like his performance and the aspects of him, I mean, like like he he knows what movie he's in he very much understands what the movie is i think all the actors really understand what the movie mm-hmm. is um but him especially just hands it up so much and is absolutely glorious he is yeah um there was a rehearsal where he was into the performance so much that he accidentally broke the prop guitar oh my god <laughs> That is like he just spun around so fast and the strap broke and it like flew out. And that's oh my goodness, I I can't imagine how pissed so some of the people were about that because this was a really low budget movie. They were pissed. Yeah, and speaking of like the low budgetness of this, I kind of just love that the set of this is just an unpacked house. They're like, eh, we don't have the money for a set design. Just put some boxes in there. It's a, it's an unpacked house. They're moving in. <laughs> It's the same set that they used for The Nest. Oh! Uh, Roger Corman reused this one several times. Um, I heard... I, I'm not I'm not sure. I, I, I heard kind of two different things, but 
uh, they either film this after the nest or before the nest. But if they filmed it after the nest, then there there was a cockroach infestation the entire time. Ooh, yikes! That's <laughs> uh, talk about unworkable um, yeah. conditions. I'm just kidding. I'm never gonna watch the nest. <laughs> yeah, I don't see myself doing that either. The, the bug ones, I, 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 you can keep. You can keep those. I'm okay with without that. Yep. Yeah, I don't need yeah, those. Just, just give me these sex demons with guitars and drills. I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, I'm with so you. Brock kind of, so kind of like comparing this to the first movie, very different. Um, and for many different reasons, but one of the things that kind of stuck out to me the most, and you kind of touched on it with all the actors really seem to get the type of movie that they're in, what they're doing. And I kind of got like a sense of how, like they're all kind of like, just like buddies and friends with each other in this um yeah and that was something that brock the director talked about was how to be like a little bit different from the first movie she was wanting to this to be more of kind of like just like camaraderie and sisterhood less so of like a feminist political statement um which i found interesting and and in but also with in that this movie is also a little bit less sleazy than the first movie too which is i kind of find interesting while being in that vein of like we're not going to be like a feminist political movie but it's also gonna be less sleazy too which is like i don't know i kind of find that i kind of find that interesting how those i would have thought those two would have gone hand in hand but they actually kind of seem to be the, the two directors use those for opposite reasons and everything but i just found that interesting i feel like this movie is in some ways what the first one was trying to be that um i i, I like the first movie i think it's fun but I don't think there's anything special about it. I, I think it's kind of just a by the number slasher movie that I tend to forget about. That one is notable because when it was written, it was meant to be a parody of the genre. And then when it was shot, they kind of sucked that out of it. Uh, and the parts where the first one shines is when that parody manages to get through, like when they're eating the freaking pizza off the dead guy. was <laughs> uh, hilarious. Um, but this movie goes back to those parody roots and is just having fun with itself mm-hmm. and i mean the sister camaraderie isn't that supposed to be in the first one i mean i mean <laughs> they're all they're, friends, they're all friends but it's, i mean this one was so much more of like i mean they're just a group of friends in high school and this one i feel like that you get that sense of camaraderie because they're also like in a band together and they're and they kind of like yeah they kind of lift each other up a little bit with that like we get that scene in the cars on the way to school and I believe it was the character of Amy, I believe, with Courtney. And she's kind of like being like a wingman with uh, with Matt. She goes, oh, hey, you know, she's in a band with us. She's really good and everything. We're going to be practicing uh, later today. You want to come by? <laughs> <laughs> Which I can't imagine being in a band and like having like an audience of one, just like from your garage. Uh, yeah. I just feel like that would just be so awkward. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um. Which, by the way, the the songs in the movie are really good. <laughs> the music is good. The music, I do, I do love the the Tokyo. The, what's it called? Tokyo convertible. Tokyo convertible. <laughs> I love the song. I wanna be your Tokyo convertible. I wanna have fun with you. I just love going through the motions. I just love going through. <laughs> it's so great oh man um yeah uh i i i think the rocker the the the, the driller killer songs are 
more generic, but the women's songs are all like really fun, way more than they should be. Um, so shout out to Wednesday Week, who is the actual band that the girls are modeled after. Um, that their two songs, uh, If Only and Why, are both by Wednesday Week, and it's even like the original singer's vocals and all of that that the girls are just miming along to very poorly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness yeah it, it, uh, it, it's it's a real kind of lip-syncing sort of uh, endeavor that they're going on for it but it, i mean it's it also kind of adds to the camp of that a little bit too um and it sometimes makes me go why didn't they just get like musicians to do this but i don't know it's it's funny <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny I do like the music and I like them being in a band and everything. And Courtney reminded me so much of as I, I was watching this is thinking she's just a Burnett Robin sparkles kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I saw your Insta post about that. <laughs> <laughs> and this one feels uh, way more like eighties than the first one as well. Granted the first one was like 82. Mm. So like we're still transitioning from the seventies kind of, but this one it's 87. Mm. So we got like five years later. And this one feels way more 80s. The only thing that we were missing was like a mall montage or something. But <laughs> I, I think the music aspect really helps with mm-hmm. that. Uh, that it, it, it feels very much like 80s music. Um, I mean, except the Driller Killer actually calls back to tradition because he, he's more of an Elvis. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like this this rockabilly and feels like kind of like 50s music that he's just jazz yep. into in this Um it's there's a lot of like and and that's something that i actually really appreciate about this movie because i I failed to mention this at the beginning but this is a first on the show this is the first time i'm covering a sequel in the way like this i've covered like other sequels before but they've always been like kind of like instant reviews you know like a new movie like like halloween Mm. kills or texas chainsaw massacre Mm. that remake or requel whatever the hell that was on netflix i'm with you by the way i also like that. thank you thank you thank you i <laughs> i liked it i thought it was a good i've talked about it before but i thought it was a fun slasher yeah. movie just a poor texas chainsaw movie but and you can you can still yeah, enjoy and I it i think i'm i'm not as deep in the texas chainsaw franchise i love the first one and i've seen the second one and that's it so i think part of why i like the the I refuse to call it a requel. <laughs> Part of why I like the the reboot sequel uh, is so much is just because I don't have any of that baggage at all. So I'm just watching and I'm like, this is just a fun, stupid slasher movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of like this, but uh, <laughs> uh, but not as good. As no, this. not as good. I think that this one actually succeeds more in what some other sequels kind of do because a lot of sequels I feel like try to mm. just. Be like, okay, what worked in the first one? Let's just like expand on that or try to just try to like just keep hitting those like, hey, remember this, remember this, remember this. And this one, I give it a lot of credit for deviating and being so different and kind of like really the the, the connective tissue really is just the Courtney character that we have with her. And but it also doesn't make it feel like the first movie is kind of like a prerequisite for viewing this, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of a staple of 80s minor slasher sequels that you have like the uh, what's called Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise, where basically every movie is just a completely different story, except there's one guy who's in all of them, but usually always played by a different actor. Uh, Only the second one is like a sort of true sequel to the first. And the first 40 minutes are a recap, which is... (laughs) So, <laughs> so Silent Night, Deadly Night, one point five. Yeah, 
Um, and then Prom Night also, I think every movie in that franchise is a completely different story. Um, the second Prom Night actually uh, feels kind of like a sister movie to Slumber Party Massacre too, and that it's also just dials up to what the fuck is this movie and just adds in random supernatural stuff where it's trying to do Freddy Krueger shit. <laughs> Uh, I love that movie. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of it's also just because of the straight-to-video market. Mm. I think. This was a straight-to-video movie, right? Honestly, I don't know, because I think didn't Roger Corman... I think you and I watched the same uh, like documentary making-of thing, and didn't Roger Corman Probably. say he kind of sold the title to like a bunch of distributors in Europe before Oh yeah, before like getting Maybe. this made or anything? So like, I'm not really sure. I, did, I failed to check if there was a box office for this. And on the title alone, which I think was really the, the reason for this trend was that they were just like, oh, th- let's just use the title to sell the movie. Right. Um, it's almost like the Cloverfield franchise now. They're just using the title to sell the movie, but it's really something completely new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it is so new. It's so different. And, if, and what what really stuck out to me the most about this, and I appreciate it, was that the first Slumber Party ma- Massacre feels a lot like you could really feel the influence from Carpenter's Halloween in it. I think just because it, mm. it, it's a lot of the same beats, psycho serial killer escapes and he hunts down these, these youthful females throughout the movie and kills them in their homes. <laughs> um, and while this one deviates from that a little bit and feels way more like Wes Craven's a nightmare on Elm street with how dreamlike it is. The driller killer is kind of like this dream de- demon in a way. Um, yeah, the cop's name is Kruger, and they. And the other one is Voorhees. Um, there are a few references. Uh, Courtney's last name is Bates, as in Norman Bates. Um, the drummer is Sally Burns, which is a reference to te- Texas Chainsaw that she is Sally and Marilyn Burns. Uh, I'm not sure if there's others. Those are the main ones that I picked up slash was alerted to. Um, the cops are the most obvious references, but. Several others are also references. All right, so let's get on into the um, the subgenre categorization of this movie. Uh, I, f- I feel like it's it's kind of simple. I mean, it, it, it's a it's purely like an '80s slasher movie, but uh, I love how. Uh, the director describes this as being like a dark comedy musical. Um, was there was there anything else that you were picking up, David? It, yeah, the dark comedy musical is definitely fitting. Um, I love. I it is a musical, which I love. You would not ever expect that, but it totally is. Um, but I would also add in that it's kind of like almost a possession movie in many mm. ways. Um, I mean, talking about Freddy Krueger, it feels most like Nightmare on Elm Street two in that he is emerging from her mind. So, yeah, I, I think you could sort of call it a possession-type film. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I really dig that interpretation as well for this. Um, I kind of also <laughs> just had... I just love how this isn't necessarily a subgenre, but this movie kind of stops dead like four or five times just to be a, a music video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's... Which is great. Yeah, yeah, it's just great. It's just like, all right, we're gonna take a little commercial break and uh, here's some teens, teens trying to dance. They're not synced up at all or anything else. It's kind of funny, <laughs> and it it also kind of plays like kind of like a teen, like high school movie too. And like definitely, even like outside of horror, it it feels like a teen comedy. 
I mean, I know in, in Some Prairie Massacre 1, you were talking about the Hangout movie where there's not really much happening except for just people hanging out. So do you, do you think this one fits into that as well? Kind of in a way. Um, I, f- I feel like it's a little bit more of a stretch, but I mean, like they just because... I don't know why I kind of just like have like these made up rules in my head that probably don't make any <laughs> sense. Um, just because like when I think of like a hangout movie, it's like something so mundane and there's nothing really like extra to it. And it's like, it's just like in that first movie, like they're literally the goal is just to have a sleepover and they're, <laughs> and then the just stuff happens just because like a guy like breaks in. But in this one, you know, they're, there's, there's so much going on with like these like dream flashbacks and, uh, with the driller killer and then just the, I don't know. I just feel like there's like a, just a tiny bit more yeah, that's gears fair. and moving pieces to this. Whereas like, it's not exactly hang There's a little bit more plot to this one. Um, there's also like, I mean, her literal goal is just to uh, hang out with Matt, but resist going all the way yeah. <laughs> or something. Um, and uh there's a stuff with her sisters in an asylum and it's clear very early on that she is in part going on this trip to escape from that and to avoid dealing with that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, this movie is definitely talking about post-trauma a lot. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. And it's also kind of like, there's also like this weird subplot of it's Courtney's birthday, but like her mom forgets it and they're, trying to celebrate oh, her birthday yeah. in a way and it's like and well, i also forgot that yeah it's kind of like <laughs> wait why is this in this movie <laughs> they never really mention it again I, I don't think her friends realize it's her birthday <laughs> no they don't there's a lot of things that they kind of just show and drop like the birthday thing and what was with that dead bird that she sees like did you get what that was about uh i i don't know i i think that the dead bird is just there to be a lot of stuff is in this movie just to be weird and i think that the dead bird fits into that mm-hmm. um i mean i guess you could say a bird is a symbol of innocence so the dead bird is the innocence is dead because of the post-trauma or or i'm reading way too into it and they just said oh we have this dead bird let's throw it in there it was a real dead bird <laughs> <laughs> it was a real dead bird <laughs> but yeah so I, I feel like that there's not too much else to really pull apart with you know the, the other sub types of subgenres that this bleeds into unless there's anything else you wanted to mention yeah no it's just doing its own weird ass shit um it's somewhat surrealist horror like a david lynch film or whatever but mm-hmm. uh it's just doing its own weird shit So moving on into the fear analysis portion of this, uh, according to Dr. Carl Albrecht, there are five types of fears humans share psychologically. And those are the fear of death or extinction, mutilation, body invasion, loss of autonomy, separation, abandonment, or rejection, and finally, humiliation, shame, or worthlessness, i.e. the death of ego. Now, we don't have to necessarily stick to these, just kind of there to get the juices flowing, yeah. but David off the top of your head uh what do you what types of fears do you see this movie playing off of yes well the obvious one is the mutilation Mm -hmm. um i mean just in terms of the drill is going through them but also in terms of the giant exploding zit even the hand burger goes into that 
there's a lot of bizarre body horror that happens throughout the movie. Um, but the one that I find more interesting, which I'm curious, because I assume you've done more research into the Carl Albrecht than I have. Um, but what does he actually mean specifically by loss of autonomy? Because I feel like this movie might fit into that depending on what he means. I'm not exactly sure because I feel like that, that could play into a bunch of different things. And it's yeah, I can, it, your results may vary kind of thing with, with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of like how you see autonomy and like I kind of and there are many different, I think, flavors of that. But what, what were you getting for loss of autonomy in this? So for me, I mean, while Courtney is technically literally in control of her body, uh, maybe. <laughs> um. It, it very much feels like uh, what she wants and what she's after is being stripped away from her. Mm. That she is not able to just have this fun trip. There is something that is literally inside of her head that is fucking with her and making everything wrong and killing her friends. She might even just be in an insane asylum the entire time, depending on how you read the ending. Mm. It is possible that this entire thing is a hallucination. You know, if autonomy is your ability to control your body and your mind and your life decisions, then I feel like those are the things that are being taken away from Courtney as she deals with this trauma and this dude with a drill on his guitar. No, exactly. No, I, I agree with that. And that was kind of one of the things I had that was, I found so just frightening in this movie was just being in like the mental hospital and that loss of autonomy of just decision-making is taken away from you at that point, you yes. know, and people are deciding what's best for you um, without you having much of a say And that. And I think that is just like one of like the truest sense of like just losing autonomy. And that is, I think so scary too. Um, yeah. So I'm re- very happy you brought that up. Um, and I had the mutilation as well. It kind of has like, like the top thing in this. That was like the, the big part of this, especially with like the Matt's death in this and S- Sally's zit popping and everything. Just in the, <laughs> the hamburger that you talked about. And oddly enough, the chicken that like, comes to springs to life and oh, is yeah, spraying like chocolate sauce chicken. or something <laughs> talking about david lynch and a racer head um, <laughs> um yeah that thing is so weird <laughs> yeah it's it's uh, so that that's like really interesting you know, we, we get a lot of that um but i kind of had and this might play into like loss of autonomy that we're talking about but i kind of had like that like separation uh in this in more of like not necessarily being like separated on an island or in a mental hospital while I think that's there kind of like mm. being forgotten or being like kind of like left behind, even though you are like physically present mentally, you're not like present for other people. Cause we kind of can like, I feel like is kind of like Courtney's sort of fear of like people forgetting her existence in a sense, because oh. her, you know, her mom forgets it's her birthday. Uh, her friends like she kind of like has like these freak out moments on the drive up there like she kind of gets like this weird sense of we get these like weird like camera visions of like her friends like like really close in her face and it's kind of like slow-mo and she's like like her body language is kind of like freaking out but nobody's like really picking up that she's like kind of have like this mild panic attack inside um all the hallucinations and authority figures 
won't listen to her. They don't believe her. Her friends don't really believe her that she's seeing things. Um, so it's kind of like getting that sense of like just separation and feeling like isolated from that standpoint in this. Yeah, I definitely see that. Um, I mean, I think all five of these are at play to varying extents for sure. But yeah, that one makes a lot of sense. And yeah, just that that idea of you going crazy, it is in part uh, a fear of I'm losing control of myself, but it is also a fear of will people still stand by me or love me if this is what I become? Mm. Mm, that's a, that's a really good, uh, really strong <laughs> sentiment for that too. Yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, I, I find. I mean, this movie is very campy and silly and wacky, but I do think that there are some like very deep, like underlining fears in this that like kind of do wake me out a little bit when you think about, it. especially how this movie ends. I find it very unsettling, um, and we we will get there. And <laughs> for yeah, you, you said like you feel like all five of these are kind of touched on. Obviously, death is. Um, yeah obviously for the humiliation shame part of this i kind of like was getting the sense of like there's like courtney like there's like this shame that comes with having sex in this yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's really weird and like this movie kind of you you touched on this earlier but this movie kind of it accomplishes more of what holden jones said that the first movie was trying to do which was this virginal fear of sex which I really wasn't getting that from the first movie at all. And this one, that is, I think, very upfront about it with, I mean, the, she's, she's seeing hallucinations from Valerie, her sister saying, don't go all the way. And the, the driller killer (laughs) very much is kind of like this guy is just like, Hey, you want to go all the way, baby? Like, I've had Valerie. (laughs) I'm done with Valerie. I'm ready for you. And he keeps morphing into her heartthrob, Matt in this. And it, so it's, yeah, it's like this weird like shame with sex, and also the fear of having sex in this. And I mean, we ta- we we mentioned that this kind of feels separate from the first one, and like it's doing its own thing. But you can also tie it up back into the first one that her trauma is baked into this sexual serial killer. Mm. Who, uh, even as much as he was killing them with a drill, he was also very explicitly like, "I'm doing this because I love you." And, like, he was clearly sexually motivated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with that being part of her trauma, it kind of makes sense that she is afraid of actually engaging in sex, even though there's a part of her that wants to. There is also a part of her that's like, oh, this is a bad thing. This is what serial killers do. I think that's a really good point that you bring up with, like, how much the first movie impacted her and how much it made her think about sex in, in, in that way. Did you have anything or I know that this is kind of like a silly movie, but was there any moment in this that you found to be like the scariest part or just the scariest element of this movie? I mean, it, it, it's definitely too silly to be like legitimately scary. Right. For me. Um, but, uh, I, I, the zip part isn't really scary. The zip part's just gross. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> I, disgusting. I think those are very different. Um, it, it is, it, it is something where I would not want to be eating while watching that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, even though it's hilarious. Uh, but the, the, I mean, the fear of loss of autonomy is one that I think I personally am very closely afraid of. Like, I, I connect with it on a thematic level, and I, I see the fear from the themes. Although I don't know that the movie itself is scary, because it is 
so much just having fun and silly and mm-hmm. ridiculous. Yeah, so I wouldn't really call it scary, but I guess it kind of helps confront some of those in a way. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree with you. There's nothing in here that like kind of made me jump besides the zit popping thing. And it, like what you're saying, the loss of autonomy stuff, like the ending with her being in the mental hospital and the drills coming through the floor that kind of stuck with me. I was like, I didn't know that that was something that I was like kind of freaked out about, but just, you know, when, if whether, whatever your interpretation of this movie is, whether it's all real, all in her head, either scenario is still terrifying. (laughs) Uh, Just being (laughs) stuck in that mental hospital, whether it's real or just a hallucination is both terrifying. Um, So that kind of really stuck with me. And I also, yeah, absolutely. On a much lesser extent, um, uh, I do love in this movie, we get a scene where the characters are actually smart enough to get in the car and just drive away. But I, I hate that, that that doesn't work because, you know, whenever like, when I was like in high school or, you know, like a kid trying to watch horror movies, you would always like, tell yourself, as long as I get in a car, if I'm ever in a horror movie, as long as I get in a car, I'm safe. And this like kind of ruins that. <laughs> Oh man! And then they even like go to neighbor and they're knocking, and the neighbor just doesn't answer. Yeah. Um, which I've seen that in other movies. Do they do that in Halloween? Yes, they do. And they do that, and it follows. I think. Yeah, that's always scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when and again, it's kind of just like just, just someone that doesn't answer. Uh, it's also frightening. I think uh, on frightening that uh, it was it was a it was a good callback. But so in the first movie, we have Courtney. She stole Valerie's Playgirl magazine she's stealing her, her pornography oh, and then in this one we see that uh the drummer she stole her brother's smut the hot wet and wild and to me it was just like uh what is with these was with this franchise and like siblings like sharing pornography this is weird this... <laughs> oh man um courtney stole her sister's playgirl magazine mm-hmm yeah is that the same one that she still has in this movie? Uh, I didn't. Was there a Playgirl magazine in this one? There was at some point. Um, I forget where, but it says like Sylvester Stallone on the cover or something. If okay, well, I mean, it was <laughs> Stallone on the cover in the first one, so if that's same one. Wow, I can't believe I missed that detail. continuity. They recast both girls, but they kept the same Playgirl magazine. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone is the only actor in both movies. That is amazing. <laughs> that is fantastic. Oh my god. Wow. I'm That is some great continuity right there. I'm like disappointed in myself. I didn't catch the, the the Stallone porno magazine in this. Wow. Wow. Great catch, David. Um Jeez. Okay, well let's <laughs> Uh, do you want to move on to like messaging and the like, interpretation of this movie? Yeah, I mean, we started to touch on this um, a little bit already. Uh, the first question that we have to ask, of course, is, uh, I mean, it's kind of a loaded question with several aspects, but what do you think the Dreadful Killer is? Uh, where did, did he come from? Is this real? What What's literally happening in the movie <laughs> in your interpretation? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's it, like you said, it's kind of a loaded question. I liked how, well, I guess let's first start off with what the director said that like, you could go with this. Like, yeah. there's two takes. And that the first one is that everything you saw that happened, everything that you saw happen in the movie is real, and that it led Courtney to be 
uh, committed to a mental hospital or two, she's been in the mental hospital the whole time. And all this is just a hallucination because of her PTSD from the first movie. I, I presume both are not good. Uh, I don't want either like one to happen to, to a person. <laughs> um, I tend to lean with the, it's all a hallucination, which I know is not fun and like can maybe make some people like maybe dislike this movie more if it's like all hallucination, but that doesn't make me dislike it anymore. If it is, um, I'm just, I guess I'm just one of those people. That, yeah. But um, where do you stand on this, David? I also kind of lean toward the second one, which isn't normal for me. Usually I like the interpretation where everything is real, but this one is just so bizarre and nutty that it's it's hard to believe that it's all real. Mm-hmm. Um, and the main scene that actually leads me to this is not one of the the wacky zit exploding stuff or the the face hugger chicken but it is the uh the dance scene um when they're in the condo and they're watching first off this starts off there's a song that's playing at the beginning of a movie that they're watching and then they turn that up and then they all start dancing and when the song ends it just goes away like they, they've literally just forgot that it was from they don't need music to have a good time as they're dancing to this it goes so over the top that sheila and sally uh take off their shirts and then they have a feathery pillow fight oh my god this is just it's 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 getting back to its roots with like that like male fantasy of like the, the the girls slumber party like oh yeah they like take their tops off and have pillow fights that's what they do Except then the movie's also fully aware of how ridiculous this is because then, uh, I, I forget whether it's TJ or Jeff who says it, but the two boys are sits, come up and they're at the window and they're seeing this. And then one of them is like, wow, I, I didn't think girls really did this. It's like, well, yeah, it's because they don't. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good point that the movie calls itself out like that. It, it, like like besides like it's it's also just like a very very weird like sequence of events like like everything you said like, like with the with the the music tuning out but they're still having this pillow fight and i believe it was sheila she's like humping a lamp or something in this yep. and it's what is going on what is going on <laughs> also they whoever's house this is i forget whose but like their dad's gonna be pissed that there's fucking feathers everywhere clean up the feathers that's not too hard to do i feel like I feathers feel like are tough. big you can clean those up <laughs> you can but like i just wouldn't trust high schoolers to do it i'd rather feathers than cockroaches okay okay fair point <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it definitely feels surreal even in its most normal places mm-hmm. um it almost reads like this is uh courtney's idea of what being a teenager must be like one she's never actually been one. Ooh, i really like that yeah because maybe she's been committed since since the first movie when she was i mean because she was like 12 or 13 something like that in the first movie. i mean if, if you go with that one then it's entirely possible that she's the one who's been in the asylum instead of valerie and valerie might not be yeah and it's kind of like her mind coming up with this false narrative of why she hasn't seen her sister in so long because her sister's actually the one that's committed on her or now that her sister has been killed. That's why she hasn't seen her. And it it, kind of like helps explain some of all the oddities, like her mom forgetting her birthday or um, these weird, these like really weird, like head on shots that we get throughout the movie. And it's, 
it makes you feel so uncomfortable. Like they do this with the police officers when they come by. So it's just direct head on. And it feels weird. It feels really weird. And like, yeah. Also just like the, like she calls nine one one and instead of like an operator answering it's officer Kruger. And he just like chews her out and says, no, I'm not coming to help you. And that again, feels like oh, a yeah, dream thing. How it works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That feels like a dream thing too. And uh, just, I don't know. The whole thing just feels... It's like she's trying to have this fantasy about having a good, healthy life, but her trauma is even invading her fantasy and preventing it from being allowed to happen. It, it's weird, then, that it's, like, the the musical themes. Although, I guess maybe you could almost define it... I'm not sure where the musical themes would come from in that interpretation. Um but you know, she, she, she. I, I think you still have music and and insane asylum. Maybe she's a big fan of Wednesday Week and is imagining that she is Wednesday Week. Well, I mean, <laughs> that, that is like a thing. I mean, that's kind of like a, a a fantasy thing. Like, oh, you know, I have friends and we're in a band together, and uh, yeah. yeah, we we do all. It the... explains why Sheila's singing voice sounds nothing like her actual voice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, I don't. I I feel like that. That's like the most logical or. I say logical. I don't know if I want to use that word, but it, it feels like the most reasonable thing that, you know, it's a, it's all like a whole, like awful hallucination that she's having. And then also, it, cause then, cause then it kind of gets into, you know, who is the driller killer? Is he just a figment of her imagination? Is he a sex demon? Yeah. Did, was he a sex demon possessing Russ Thorne in the first movie? Now he's enacting revenge. I, Oh, interesting. Then why wasn't Russ Thorne into fifties music into into Elvis Presley? What why why was Russ Thorne the antithesis to Elvis Presley? Uh, because because the Driller Killer <laughs> allows him to have free will. He he allows him to like to, okay. to to like what he wants, but he still has to kill people with a drill. Oh. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> These are the terms and conditions when when you are sponsored by the Driller Killer. <laughs> yes, you don't have to like Elvis Presley. But you, you, you do have to kill people with a drill. It would be pretty cool if you did, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just like, oh, oh do you want to do a Canadian tuxedo? You don't want any fringe? Okay, fine. <laughs> so there is another interpretation of this. Uh, I'm not. I wonder if you've. I, I, I'm not sure if you came across this one or not. There's not that many uh, sources on the movie. <laughs> but there's a slash film article by Ariel Fisher, where. Um, they talk about the idea that uh, Courtney might is actually a bisexual woman who, through the driller killer, is exploring her repressed bisexuality. I feel like I which... need a little elaboration on that. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea is that, um, you know, he is a sex demon, he is after women, and he is coming from her mind. So there is a part of her that is the driller killer. It's kind of similar to how uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is uh, heavy, heavy gay themes. Uh, they take that and they sort of apply it to this movie as well. Um, and then you have this sort of voyeuristic aspect where, while yes, all these men are watching them in the dance scene, it's still largely shot from Courtney's perspective. So she is the one who is the voyeur on her friends and who mm -hmm. is attracted to these girls but doesn't know how to express that. And then the driller killer comes to help her express that. I don't know if I necessarily buy into this, but I do find it really interesting, and I love a good query. <laughs> interesting. I mean, I, I, I mean, I so 
I, I, I think that's, you know, people are allowed to have that interpretation. Like you, I'm not sure if I exactly see the evidence for it necessarily, but I think that's interesting because, I mean, yeah, if, if the Drilla Killer is like this, this thing personifying from within her and it's attacking both, I find it really interesting that it first attacks her love interest, Matt. And mm. um, I kind of saw, I kind of took that as like the Driller Killer like, is it a sex demon or is it just like this personification of like, a male's sex drive and like how that's like seen that could be seen as like evil or naughty to like some women or just wh- whomever? Because I found it interesting that the driller killer kept morphing or Matt kept morphing into the driller killer when they were in bed together kissing. Yeah. And um, I was like, oh, so it's kind of like this. Is it just like she's scared of like sex or his sex drive or it is like is is like his perfection that like the image she had of matt being shattered by like him wanting to like get in her pants or something like that and like she's like now and like how he said earlier her like repressed feelings about sex due to the the events in the first movie how she like links that to violence now and now now she's scared of matt because his sex drive is increasing yeah i think that whether or not she's bisexual, she definitely has a very high sex drive, which is being repressed. Um, I mean, I, I think the Jordan Killer is definitely an aspect of her, and clear, he, he he's not Russ Thorne. He is like this very hypersexual, active, uh, uh, smuggy guy. So I, I, I feel like there's a part of her that is that inside that she is hiding away because she is afraid of it. And then it gets out and slaughters everyone. Which does kind of read a little bit bisexual. I, I do see that, that there is he is killing the women as well as the men. And if he is a part of her, then that does imply that she is also attracted to her friends, whether or not she admits it to herself. And I, I could buy into that about how he's you know, he, he's, he's not discriminating on sex on who he kills in this movie. And it's yeah. also interesting that it boils down to Amy at the end, but Amy is mm. the only one I believe that doesn't actually get killed by the drill. She kind of just falls to her death. And it, maybe that could just be, it's like some sort of thing of like, that's who she like actually is attractive to maybe because like she didn't let her own sex demon get to her. She kind of just let her, die like a very pedestrian way just falling <laughs> uh the jewelry still pushes her right yeah he he definitely yeah he pushes yeah. her but it's it, it's less like it's not like that penetrative act of like the drill going through yeah. her and mutilating her it's like kind of like it's still like preserving her image and how she looks and everything is just falling yeah yeah i'm with you on that um i think amy is definitely her closest friend in the movie that uh well sheila and sally are kind of the showier characters that they are sheila is very hyperactive and (laughs) has not have any fears of her sexuality uh go get it Uh, (laughs) sally is like this awesome surfer dude who uh she goes missing for a few hours and everyone is worried that she might be dead and she comes back she's like oh i met this guy he was such an aim I've never heard that slang in any era. I don't know where that came from, but I love it. Um, but then Amy is the more held back one. She is, uh, they modeled her kind of after Annie Hall. 
and she is the one who seems to be the most willing to listen to Courtney. They're all supportive of her, mm-hmm. even though they don't believe her. But Amy is the one who was most there for her. That's an excellent point about Amy because you're right. Because she was the one that like was picking her up, right, to go to school in the yeah. car drive. She's the first one who's introduced. In... Uh, which I always think that whoever you're introduced to first is more important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and they, she, as I said earlier, she's the one that talks her up about her being in a band to Matt and everything. And they have that they fun. They play the same instrument. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's a really good point too. So I don't know. Okay, maybe that article. Maybe we should have like helped them out, <laughs> flesh out that idea. <laughs> so okay, yeah. I can... And Amy is not shown connecting with another man like Sheila and Sally are. Ooh, another great point. Ooh. <laughs> I believe she's also. I mean, she's in a bikini like everyone else, but I believe that she's like like the less revealing character that we get in this besides Courtney. Yeah. She wears, I mean, she dressed like Annie Hall. Mm-hmm. So she wears a lot of like suits and whatnot. Uh, that was all, that was largely just because of uh, contracts with actors that uh, she was, I think a playboy model before, but she wanted to get away from that. So she put in her contract not to do any nudity. Uh, Deborah Brock was very accommodating with all the actors. Um, how willing they were with nudity. She was, that, that's why uh, uh, Juliet Cummings is the only one who we see fully nude because she was the only one who was comfortable with it. The others were like, oh, we don't really want to do it. And Deborah Brock was like, okay. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> which is so nice to hear, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I just like can't imagine the, the discussions they had for that first movie, and especially at that locker locker room scene but um anywho it's surprising because it's roger corbin and you would think that that he would fight against it more but i'm i'm glad that she got away with that uh that shouldn't be a point of accommodation that should just be an obvious thing that all films follow but yeah (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah absolutely um I just want to quickly mention it, but we've already mentioned it a bunch, but like this movie is about like PTSD, especially like Courtney's yes. whole arc through this yes. and everything. But I feel like we've kind of talked on, about that a bunch. I mean, it's, it's the, the most obvious. It's the thing that is the most transparent. That is the most, uh, the, the easiest one to grasp onto that you are very much explicitly introduced to. She is suffering from this trauma. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know how to deal with it. Uh, her friends don't even know about it. They don't know what happened. They don't know that her sister's in an asylum. Uh, Matt, the love interest, does know, but not because she told him, just because he's heard about it elsewhere. And he says, oh, I'm okay with this. I accept you anyway. Um, and she's actually surprised that he accepts her. Well, you know, he is this fantasy boy that she dreams about, you know? <laughs> he's good looking. He catches touchdowns. He accepts her past trauma. Uh, <laughs> and then he gets killed by the driller killer. Isn't it also interesting that he kind of just shows up? Like, we don't see him drive up to the house like we do the other two. Like, he, yeah. he's just in the house already. <laughs> mm, suspicious. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Matt was the driller killer all along. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of find it funny. Uh, this kind of, it, in a way, kind of feels like the ending of Cabin in the Woods, where they're like, I don't even think he has a cousin. Like, like I don't know. Like, th- does <laughs> Sheila even have a dad? Does she? <laughs> <laughs> Sheila even have a dad? With, with, with Sheila this... does have a dad. Her dad is Courtney because it's all in her brain. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, if we run with the it is real interpretation for a minute, yeah, uh, please. 
then, I mean, yeah, you can say the Joker Killer is kind of the supernatural entity who, who maybe he latches on to this trauma. Maybe he's even dressed up as Elvis just because Courtney likes music. And he wants to pervert, like, you, he is perverting their love of music. He is taking the thing that they love and turning it into something uh, terrible and evil. Um, he ties back into the early 50s rockers like Elvis. I keep saying Elvis because it's so much Elvis. Uh, he, he feels like this Fonz, Fonzie-type character because that was kind of the origins of rock and roll. That was the place when people were most afraid of it. He only speaks in like terribly cheesy rock slogans. He just casually references famous songs like uh, I ain't got no satisfaction, and he says it without any context whatsoever. It does not make sense in context. <laughs> yeah, it, it, he says, doesn't he say like rock and roll never dies or something like that? Yeah, and it's that's just like, like is rock line. and roll sex? Like, what is it? Like, I just don't. Um, I, I, he, he is the evil side of rock and roll. He is the side of rock and roll your your parents warned you about. Whereas uh, Courtney's band, Wednesday Week, is like it's an all-girl band. It's fairly safe, although it's actually still very sexual. The If Only song is still like, If Only I Had Him, if you look at the lyrics of it, which are kind of hard to hear, but it does very much feel like a uh, anthem for women's sexuality. It's cool that there's like a lot it's cool that we had a lot more to talk about than i expected to same like after we spontaneously agreed to this i had this moment where i was like oh my god summer party massacre 2 am i gonna have anything to say about it <laughs> aside from it's fun and then watching it again i'm just like oh yeah there's a lot to talk about i can totally <laughs> talk about this for an hour <laughs> yeah i was kind of worried too i was like this is only a 75 minute movie are we gonna like, are we gonna we're gonna have enough and like i was writing my notes like in my kitchen this morning i was like okay i, th I think that there's enough here and um i feel like our... i think it's a mix of like it's so weird that there's a lot to dissect and a lot of different ways that you can look at it and at the same time i i feel like slasher in general particularly 80s slasher uh always it, it, it's so reactionary like i mm. i i'm not sure how much of this was thought out i feel like deborah brock kind of knew what she was saying to some extent but i also feel like there's a large point where slasher movies will throw stuff at a wall and then wind up saying a lot more than they realize like you can interpret the entire friday the 13th series as just a response to ronald reagan and reagan and his family values and whatnot that hmm. uh, it's taking these family values and sort of rebelling against them and it, it it's uh jason Voorhees is the the, the hand of Ronald Reagan and all of his uh, supporters saying, no, you can't do sex. No, you can't do drugs. No, you can't be gay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't y'all talk about Reagan a bunch on your show, like occasionally? Yeah, it's kind of a running joke. <laughs> <laughs> it, it started like it happened twice, and then it just became a running joke. Um <laughs> That was one of our more diegetic uh, Ronald Reagan references that just happened. <laughs> I love that you bled that into into this. That's fantastic. I I didn't think I was gonna. 
I can't wait. I can't wait to Devin hears that you did this. I can't. You need, you, when you get off, you need to text her. Be like, you won't believe what I just did on Broker's podcast. <laughs> Love that. It's 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 so funny that like all these. And I guess it is like response to the the, the Reagan era, like, like you said. But it, I just find it so interesting that a lot of these slashers is just. It, it's just yeah. it's just like sex is such a sin in it. I don't know. It's so. It's I don't even think it's conscious. I mean, at this point because this is 1987 uh so people were definitely aware this point of the trope that sex and slashers is bad Mm -hmm. but i don't know if they connected it with all the movement at that time yet i feel like that is largely in hindsight's 2020 Mm -hmm. and now we can look back and we can see what was going on in the culture we can see if you go with the bisexual interpretation that this was during the aids epidemic when people were really afraid of of uh, queerness no yeah no and i think i think that is a really cool point that you make about that like at this point that they were partially aware to it because this is 87 and i just talked about men women and chainsaws and 85 was when uh carol mm-hmm. j clover was starting to write her essay on this so it, i need to read that it's really good um it's dense <laughs> um but it's it's really good i mean i've only i'm, I'm working through the book right now but yeah it's it's a lot of fun All right, before we wrap things up here, let's talk about which movie props that we would pick from this film to put in the basement of the cabin in the woods to summon the driller killer. David, what do you got? I mean, like, the obvious one is the drill tar. It is. I don't want to say the drill tar because it's so obvious, but I'm not sure what else there would be. Well, let's at least (laughs) present a case to put the guitar down there. Because okay, okay, because normally you know you want something that's very unassuming, doesn't seem like something obvious, but this is such like a unique piece of art. Like somebody's definitely gonna like want to play with that, you know? Oh yeah, I want to play with that. Yeah, so it, it's it's not. <laughs> I don't even know how to play the guitar. It's not necessarily as obvious as putting like a chainsaw down there, you know, or just like Michael yeah. Myers's uh, mask. It's 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 a guitar with a drill on it, like. I don't know. I, f- I feel like that. That's this is one of the cases where, like, yeah, you could just put the weapon down there. Somebody's gonna pick that up for sure. And they are musicians. I mean, Courtney herself plays a guitar. So excellent point. <laughs> um, it 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 if you go in with the idea that the driller killer is an extension of Courtney herself, then it makes sense that the guitar sort of belongs to her in a way. So if you pick up that guitar, then you're summoning the drill killer. Maybe it's just the guitar as it is, like without the drill bit on it. And then as soon as you start playing it, that drill just like magically appears on it. And then I thought of that, but that never happens in the movie. <laughs> There's no point where we see it without the drill. Um, otherwise, I would totally go with you on that. Right. <laughs> um i mean you could also like do her normal instruments but her normal instruments don't really work as well yeah uh the other one i thought of was the dead bird Ooh, okay just putting a dead bird in the basement (laughs) i don't know if anybody would touch that or they might go oh you know we We don't need to touch it you just need to look at it and be like oh Oh, i'm gonna dream about that dead bird (laughs) 
yeah, if you just if you just turn to your friend and you say, I just saw a dead bird, then that's what summons the driller killer for some reason. I was going to say, you know what's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to end up on somebody's like honey to-do list. Like, honey, you got to get rid of that dead bird. They say, all right, all right, I'll get mm. it this Sunday. Yeah, I'll, I'll get to it. <laughs> um, it's stinking up the whole basement. <laughs> it smells like foul down there. Um, you go into the basement in the cabin woods, you're like, oh, it smells terrible. And then you just walk out and you don't summon anything. Oh my God, it smells like dead bird. <laughs> and then the, the people in the in the control chamber are just like, oh, fuck, we shouldn't have put that dead bird in there. Now they're not going. <laughs> this is against bird law. Yeah. This... <laughs> um, I had two other contenders uh, outside of the bird yes, in the please. guitar. <laughs> I had the, uh, which I did not expect us to talk about that bird at all this episode, by the way. We, we, we talked way more about that bird than I thought we would. Um, What's the death of innocence? <laughs> it's the death of religion. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Jesus. Um, okay. I had the highlighter yellow book, Hot, Wet, and Wild being down there. Oh, great one. Yeah, I had that one in there because somebody's difficult wants to read the smut. Um, and it's also h- highlighter yellow. Like, this thing's just so bright. <laughs> it's I don't know why it's that color. And then I had the, the blow-up sex doll that TJ keeps playing with. <laughs> oh, Which is kind of disgusting <laughs> that he, like, takes that and brings it to the pool. And I don't know. It becomes a pool toy. <laughs> I mean, all of those makes sense because uh again it's an aspect of sexuality so going in with the 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 sexy things that are in the movie makes sense of ways to summon the driller killer mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> even the playgirl magazine she's still in the first movie yeah no, she still has it i mean if it's it's down there she from the first it. movie um so <laughs> so you're gonna have like this stallone <laughs> playgirl the hot, wet, and wild book, and then this blob sex doll. It's just like the evolution of just like horniness. Going. <laughs> oh man, um, so fucking weird. But uh, uh, was there... I mean, all you throw those things down there, then people aren't gonna be fighting any zombies. It's all gonna be drill killer the entire time. <laughs> these these aren't just zombies. These are horny redneck zombies. It's a completely different beast. It's. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, dude, I wonder, like, would I'm trying to think like the blow up sex doll? Like, like, there's part of me that, like wants to see like a slacks kind of story where like the blow up sex dolls come to life and kill people. Oh, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. I would watch that. I love how you didn't even have to think about it. The synapses just went. <laughs> Great idea. <laughs> um. You, you need to give them some protection because it, it, it feels like it would be too easy to pop them. David, thank you so much for coming on to talk about Slumber Party Massacre 2 from 1987. Thank you for <laughs> getting me to watch this movie. Um, I definitely I, I definitely lean that I like the first one more, but I don't hate this movie. I had a, like a fun time with okay. it, and I had a really fun time chatting with you about it. And we got a lot deeper into this movie than I originally thought that we were. So uh, thank you for all your thoughts and everything. Can I, can I ask you something? Yeah. So on Cadaver Dogs, there is Rob's favorite part of the show, the bone review section, okay. where we rate each movie on a scale of one to four bones, half bones in between. Uh, so two bones is like, that was okay. Four bones is a masterpiece, one of the best movies ever. 
Uh, no bones, because I hate this piece of shit. How many bones do you give Slumber Party Massacre 2? I'm probably going to go two and a half. Cool. I'm going to go three. I, 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 it's, it brings me so much joy. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, hey, absolutely. You know, whatever gets you your third bone, you know, uh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but uh, um, no, no, yeah, this is totally fine. I mean, originally I was kind of like, uh, I don't know how much I enjoyed this, and then kind of like rewatching it and picking up on more of those things because this is it's like one of those sneaky movies where it's fun to kind of have a discussion about like was it real or was it a hallucination? Yeah, I find the enjoyment of this movie so intoxicating. I I love the driller killer and Atanas Alicia's performance. And I mean that scene of him slowly grooving down the hallway, throwing a whole solid dance number uh, before he kills Sheila, is the greatest thing ever. I've watched that one scene like 30 times. Like I think it's so much fun. <laughs> oh my goodness! And his song is it's it's the cheesiest Elvis ripoff ever, but he's saying "Let's buzz," <laughs> <laughs> which is like I'm into it. I'm into Perfect. it. Perfect. Three bones. Three bones. Three buzzy bones. <laughs> I love it. David, where can people find you in Cadaver Dogs? Yeah, we are available wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, we're, we're, all of them. We're also on social media at Cadaver Dogs Pod. We're very active on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we're always posting about our new episode and just random stuff of like, oh, this movie was fun. Right now, I just got a PS5, so I keep posting about video game stuff. And if you want to follow me, then I'm at your friendly neighborhood DBJ with an underscore before DBJ. Because when I first got on Instagram, my sister messaged me and she's like, so I almost didn't realize it was you because I thought it said your friendly neighborhood BJ. And I'm like, ah, shit. <laughs> so I added an underscore. <laughs> oh my god. Well, hey, at least you get that fixed. Um, but <laughs> that would have been an unfortunate handle. Um, but, <laughs> well, yeah. David. David, thank you so much, and I really do encourage people to go check out Cadaver Dogs. I will put links in the show notes, so you just swipe over, go right there, start listening. I, if you like, if you like Autopsy of a horror movie, you would really dig Cadaver Dogs because, as David said earlier, they really get into the analysis and the themes and the, the connective themes between movies you wouldn't have thought of before. Um, and all of you are kind of in filmmaking and everything, so you guys have such a cool, I think, yeah. perspective on everything and uh, if people need an episode to recommend i really loved your your episode which y'all talked about sinister um i yeah. thought that was a really good one and i i credited y'all i believe on uh you did. The, yeah one of the interpretations y'all had <laughs> that i loved about that in my episode on that so everybody go go check out cadaver dogs it's, i mean when i say it's one of my favorite horror movie podcasts out there um and uh, I want to say thank you to the patrons. Thank you to Tiffany, Jasher, Cleveland, and James. You guys rule. Head over to patreon.com slash brokerhorror. You want to follow me on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at brokerhorror. And be sure to go to horrorpress.com. See you guys next time. Be sure to watch some good movies. Thanks again, David. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>